Well, good morning. Welcome to Battleground Community Church. If you're online or here in person, uh, I welcome you to turn your Bibles to Psalm 64. Psalm 64. And as you find your place um, and find it, you'll notice um, this is a Psalm of David. So David wrote this Psalm, but we don't know the context. In other words, we, we don't really know the situation that he finds himself in. And both to know a situation specifically and to not know is intentional and, and helpful as not only as we understand and apply it, but as we seek to apply it to us in, into our life. And so let's, uh, let's stand to our feet in reverence and acknowledgement that this is the Word of God. Psalm 64, verse 1. Hear my voice, O God, in my complaint. Preserve my life from dread of the enemy. Hide me from the secret plots of the wicked, from the throngs of evildoers who wet their tongues like swords, who aim bitter words like arrows, shooting from ambush at the blameless, shooting at him suddenly and without fear. They hold fast to their evil purpose, They talk of laying snares secretly, thinking, who can see them? They search out injustice, saying, we have accomplished a diligent search. For the inward mind and heart of a man are deep. But God shoots his arrows at them. They are wounded suddenly. They are brought to ruin with their own tongues turned against them. All who see them will wag their heads. Then all mankind fears. They tell what God has brought about and ponder what he has done. Let the righteous one rejoice in the Lord and take refuge in him. Let all the upright in heart exult. This is the word of God. Lord, now as we come to you as your your children that have gathered ourselves again corporately, We pray that this time together will simply produce in our life an overflow of worship that has been going on all week. Uh, And so, Lord, we look forward to this time together. We look forward to your word, for you teaching us. So, Lord, it's it's important not only that we understand what's going on in the text and in David's life, but it's also important for us to know how do we need to apply that into our life. And so... We ask for your help with both of those things today and trust through the Holy Spirit that you will help us. And, and we lay our word open our, with our pens in our hand and say, speak to us, Lord, so that not only that we can grow, but that we can go out and make disciples and help them grow. In Jesus' name, amen. You ever seen that TV program that, that's called When Animals Attack? I like stuff like that. I probably shouldn't, but I do, you know. Uh, <laughs> I've thought many a time in real life they ought to have a program, and maybe they do, when people attack or, or maybe when family attacks, you know, maybe, maybe to show what happens when families get together at the holidays or birthdays or reunions. People problems. We all deal with it. We all have to deal with them. That's what David's dealing with. He's got... People problems. And people problems, no matter where you find them. I was talking to 
Jeff earlier, uh, uh, the first of the year, everybody's been on vacation, everybody spent too much money over the holidays, and now you got to realize you got to get all those plates spinning, and people are notoriously irritated and discontent when they come back to work. And if you manage anybody, you know you've experienced it probably already this week. It, people problems impacts everything. It impacts our relationship with God especially with other people, some of which don't even know you're having any problems. Um, it impacts your, your joy or at least uh, your, your happiness. How do we respond to people problems? Well, oftentimes, we simply respond in kind, which means whatever we are given, we give it back. <laughs> if it's outwardly, then we respond outwardly. If it's passive-aggressive, then we give that back. If you're, if you're an introvert, which I am na- naturally, then passive-aggressive is your weapon of choice. You may always come back passive-aggressively. There's a third kind. If you don't do one of those two, you will inwardly take this and introspect into it, internalize it, and it will destroy you. But we deal with it in some way. And what I want us to see today, because we have looked at lament psalms multiple times, I want you to think about the impact of people problems on your worship, how it affects your worship. This issue, whatever it is, has impacted, it has affected David's worship. People problems can quickly become worship problems. One could even argue that all sin problems are worship problems so that's the question to ponder what has your people problems in your life past present and future how is it impacting your worship main idea if you got the notes you'll see it at the top when evil men attack david he prayerfully indicts and entrusts them to god's intervention which brings david once again to worship i want us to see in this pattern of lament an indictment first in the form of a complaint. And then he, he discusses this, these attackers in, in detail to God. And then we see God's sudden intervention that brings David back to worship. The indictment, verse 1, you see it? Hear me, hear my voice, O God, in my complaint. Preserve my life from the dread of the enemy. This word complaint is where we get the word lament. But this is more than just a me calling Mike up and say, hey man, I just just let me let's grab coffee. I just need to vent. Right? And that happens. And that's okay. And we do that. And sometimes we do that with God as well. This is this is a little bit more formal. This is not simply whining to God. Although sometimes we do that and that's fine. Um this is this is more of a um writing down a a formal indictment to God the judge and saying, God, I would like a hearing on this situation. This this person or these people in this situation do this to me. I, I I would like a formal hearing. I would like you to give me a hearing about what's going on here in my life. David's primary weapon from back to front whether it's his own inward sin or his outward rebellion, 
problems foreign or domestic is always prayer. It's his most powerful resource, and he's teaching this week after week after week after week in the Psalms. Prayer is the best one. It is our first one. Listen, of those, of those outward aggressive, passive aggressive, or inward introspection, this is the fourth way that we should, in the right way to deal with it, we take it, the situation, or the, them, the person, to prayer and lay them before God. Spurgeon, because you've got to have a Spurgeon quote in your sermon. It's just a rule. That's a joke. It's the first of the year, see, everybody's a little bit uptight. Prayers which are unheard on earth may be among the best heard in heaven. He says, hide me, verse 2, from the secret plots of the wicked, from the throng of evil doers. You see, evil people in an evil community, which we're going to talk about in a minute, use their minds in their evilness. They're, they're just not doing things. They're thinking Prayer engages our mind in our situation. If you're not praying, you're probably just reacting. Prayer engages not only our hearts, it engages our mind because remember we are called to love God with our minds, not just our hearts, not just our emotions. Philippians 4.8 says this, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And so verse 2 brings us to not only this formal hear me, but also to a hide me. Hide me. It is a plea for preservation and protection. Hide me from the secret plots of the wicked, from the throng of evildoers. Hide. is. We've been looking at this. David says that in all kinds of ways. It's a simple word. It means he doesn't want to be discovered. He wants, to, he wants God to engage him in some divine hide and seek. Because if he does it, they'll find him. But if God hides him, he wins. The purpose is simply to preserve him. He, he has this fear. You see the word dread here? Preserve my life from the dread of the enemy. That word dread is, simply means fear. He's simply not afraid of the enemy. It, the whole situation is fearful. Fear is his greatest enemy. The emphasis here on these this, these evil people that are against David is two things, secrecy and suddenness. Secrecy and suddenness. If you look down at verse 5, you'll see that they're planning. David uses this word snare or to ensnare. It's this idea of setting a trap. It's a hunting illustration. The whole purpose to set a trap is for that trap not to be recognized until it's too late and the animal's caught. The Bible has a lot to say about that word snare or ensnare. Uh, find Proverbs. Find Proverbs. A book worthy of our regular reading and studying. Proverbs chapter 12. Here's what we're going to see here. Things that ensnare us, ourselves, others, and people we fear. First, Proverbs 12, 13. An evil man is ensnared by the transgression of his lips. 
but the righteous escape from trouble. Evil people and, and even ourselves can get ensnared. We can get stripped up by our own mouth. That's what James is going to say. We'll look at that later. But this is what David's going to testify to the to this wicked community. Their own mouth's going to get them in trouble. But, but not only that, just flip over, or it might be on the same page in your Bible, to Proverbs 13, 14. It says this, The teaching of the wise is a fountain of life that one may turn away from the snares of death. Death itself is seen as a snare. There's something before that that is tripping you up. And here's what he's saying it is. If you take that and flip it around, the instruction of fools is a snare of death. Who you, who you allow yourself to receive counsel from, be it a church or be it the things you read, the things you watch. Do you not know that everything you watch, including the Disney Channel, is instructing you on what, how you need to see life and how you need to re- respond? It says it could be a snare of death. One more Chapter over, chapter 14, verse 27 says, The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that one may turn away from the snares of death. We're going to talk about that this morning. Fearing man brings death. Fearing God brings life. Hide me. Why is he saying, hear me and hide me? It's, it's, it's his way, and this is what I want you to see. And we're going to come back to this at the end. He is, he is writing down these, these wicked people by community, listen, by name and the situation. And he is entrusting them to the just God. And he is sitting there going, here you go. I'm giving them to you. I'm a, these, these people are scaring me to death. They're affecting every aspect of my life, the quality of it. My relationship with you almost has been affected by them. So here you go. Can you deal with it? He's entrusting God to them, trusting them to God. Versus retaliating in kind. Retaliation, brothers and sisters, think about it in your past. Most of the times that we have retaliated, it's only made the situation worse. It's, it's a very ineffective, though most movies are built on revenge and retaliation. If you ever looked at it through Netflix, you'll see. Probably 70% of them have a payback theme as part of the plot on them. It is, it is notoriously, historically in our lives and biblically ineffective because God is saying, let God deal with them. He knows how to deal with them better than we do. But David's not done with this. In other words, he's still got some things to put on his piece of paper. So he lays the wicked peoples he lays them bare before God he goes over in detail the point here is the wicked wicked man's thoughtful plans he he details them there's some specificity in David's prayer we see it that in verse 2 that this is a wicked community this is not just one person wicked people have good community This is a gathering of the wicked. Remember Psalms 1? Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Wicked people have good community. They spend time together, they make plans together, and they enjoy each other. 
This is what's so dangerous about college. Now listen to me. It's because college systematically isolates you, indoctrinates you, then seeks to cultivate a new community to practice a new way of thinking and living. Because they know this as well as we know it, everybody walks, stands, and sits around a community, either of righteousness or of wickedness, and there is no middle ground. Middle ground people are miserable. They're going to embrace it. They go to these these classes and there is a plan to isolate, to indoctrinate, and to give them a, give them a way to, to practice it, to cultivate. Everyone is doing one or the other. The wicked understand the benefit of working together. They understand the, the benefit of diligence. They're, they are even creative and innovative in their approaches. Listen. This is why we, this is why Battleground Community Church must prioritize community in our life. Do we? Or do we think that I am just giving some kind of lofty opinion? This look at your history. Look at our young people. How can a young adult go to college and weather this, this intentional attack? Only if they seek out biblical community when they're there. Seek it out. This is why we, we are about to get ready to launch a student growth group and a young adult growth group for this exact purpose. Because the wicked prioritize community and we best. We best. That's why we put it right in the middle of our purpose statement. The wicked have wicked community. They also have wicked weapons. And, and the most powerful weapon is their mouth. This, this Boy, this sounds just like James, doesn't it? Verse 3 and 4 says, The wicked wet their tongues like swords and aim bitter words like arrows, shooting from amber, ambush at the blameless, shooting at him suddenly and without fear. It's exactly what James says. James says, Look at sh- James 3 5. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guarded by a very small rudder. Wherever the will of the pilot directs, so also is the tongue, is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great is the forest that is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, and setting on the fire of the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. Whatever is going on, and we don't know, David was afraid. That this wicked community was effective. Um, direct tax, a, direct, a direct attack is, is easier to deal with. Somebody just comes right up to you and just lets you have it. Uh, frontal attacks are, are, easy, are easier to see, at least. Um, but that's not how wicked people prefer to act. Uh, the, the, the most wicked, remember our words, they, they do it in secret. And then they, they, they push it up suddenly. That's why it's so effective. David said, it's effective. This is a, this is a true illustration in the life of our family. Um, our children um, didn't go to public school. Our oldest two went to a Christian institution, not one around here. And it was the worst experience of their life. Why? Because 
the school they went to was both haughty and hypocritical. You see, legalism can just be just as damaging as outright paganism. Why? Because they both use words to attack. That's why. And words are effective. They chip away at a person day after day after day after day. That's why your words are powerful, either to the good or to the evil. The wicked people find impressionable minds and they seek to control them. That's how cults begin. That's how our educational system works. They're wicked planning. They're not just winging it. Look at four and five. It says, shooting from ambush at the blameless, shooting at them suddenly without fear. They hold fast to their evil purpose. They talk of laying snares. So they're, they're discussing it. Do you see it? They've got a methodology Stealth, but boldness. They are committed to it. They, as we hold fast to Christ, they are holding fast to their purpose. There's a goal here they're after. Jeremiah 23, 14 says, this, this is a picture of, of what happens in, with corruption is oftentimes from the top down. In other words, it is because our leaders become corrupt, then it trickles down. Into, into our family, into our church, into our nation. Uh, Jeremiah 23, 14 tells us, But in the prophets of Jerusalem, I have seen a horrible thing. They commit adultery and walk in lies. They strengthen the hands of evildoers so that no one turns from his evil. All of them have become like Sodom to me and its inhabitants like Gomorrah. They are like lions. You ever watch one of those programs? They, 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 they follow around. They find the one that is straying from the herd or the one that is weak and isolated. And, and they prey on that one. And then suddenly, without warning, they attack them. That's the picture here. They ambush suddenly. That word suddenly is important. He's going to bring that back when he talks about God. They ambushed him suddenly. 1 Peter 5 8 says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. This, they're simply following their father, their director, their, the person who calls the shots in their life, the one who has control of their very nature. They're, they're purposeful and they're planning, verse Six, as they search out injustice, saying, we have accomplished a diligent search. They are, they, this, this, as we talked about in the educational system, the desire to isolate, indoctrinate, and cultivate is a plan. It's a diligent plan carried out holistically. We've got to be aware of that the evil people, evil plans just like we make plans. And they're good at it. Why? Because they're practicing <laughs> practice it over and over they've, they've the devil the devil the devil's good at his trade and the wicked are as well why why is this so enjoyable why do they continue at it it's because it's their nature that's what he teaches us in verse five and six says they hold fast to their evil purpose they they talk of laying snares secretly thinking who can see them they are they are prideful uh, 
Who can see me? I'm good at this. Why would I want to do anything different? (laughs) I've perfected my craft. Isaiah 29, verse 15, just listen to it. It says, Ah, you who hide deep from the Lord your counsel, whose deeds are in the dark, who says, who sees us, who knows us, you turn things upside down. Shall the potter be regarded as the clay? That the thing that made should say of the maker, he did not make me. Or the thing formed, saying of him who formed it, he has no understanding. A prideful heart, you see, is a hard heart. One of the very key verses in this first section is the third line here in verse 6. Do you see it? For the inward mind and heart of man are deep. For the inward mind and heart of man are deep. These problems, this pride problem, uh, this heart problem, is a, what we call the memory of the root fruit. It's a root issue. Pride is a root issue. The desire to control people is a root issue. It comes from our heart. Jeremiah, again, 28, uh, Jeremiah 18, verse 12. It says, but they say, this is in vain. We will follow our own plans and will, act, and will everyone act according to the stubbornness of his evil heart. The New Testament agrees in Romans 2.5. It says, But because of your hard, impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourselves on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. So all of this, to look at all of this, the purpose is to understand this is what's on David's paper when he's praying. Right? I'm not preaching to you. I'm teaching you how to fight. This is how you lament. He's writing down this situation, as it were, either in his mind, either offering it to prayer, or sometimes it's even helpful to see it on paper so that you know what you're laying before him. He lays all of this down in detail. This is how he feels. This is what he's experiencing, and he lays it out, and he slides it over and entrusts it to God. He makes his case, and he asks God to see it, to hear it, and to do something about it. And that's when we see this great but God in Scripture. Verse 7, but God's sudden intervention. Verse 7, it says, but God shoots his arrows at them. They are wounded suddenly. Now, there again, I don't know the situation here. Um, and, but you know this, if you've got a little... Uh, miles on your engine, that once we get some, uh, some few years past us over situations in our life, we can look back at them with greater clarity than when we were going through them. Maybe this is true with David's life. Maybe he's looking back at a situation, seeing how, how, what happened in his life, and seeing how God responded. We don't know. But the contrast is the sudden ambush of the wicked and the sudden delivery of him, the sudden judgment of God. And so God's present judgment can look like many things. can look like many things. Um, I do want to show you one. There's a lot we could talk about, but let me just show you this because I don't think sometimes 
We see this as God's judgment, but the Bible says that it is. And so turn with me to Romans chapter 1. God's judgment is often not what we think it is. There is, this is, this is a fearful thing as we look into, into our day, but it's the truth of God's word. Look at Romans 1, 18. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. He goes on to say, he gives you both a conscious and a creation to display things about God. Your conscience bears witness that this is right and this is wrong. You do it, you sin against it anyway. Look at verse 24. What is this wrath of God being revealed going to look like? What does it look like when God, often, when God reveals his wrath, his judgment in the present? Well, just look at verse 24. It says, therefore, because God has revealed it to them, because they suppress it, God gave them up. God gave them up. That's what it looks like. God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Verse 26, for this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relationships for those that are contrary to nature. Verse 27, and men likewise gave up natural relationships with women and were consumed with passion from one another. Verse 28, And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. And they were filled with all manner of wickedness because of it. The greatest and scariest reality in the people in our life and in this world is that God can get to a point where he simply stops dealing with a person. He stops dealing with a community. Listen, he'll stop dealing with a church. Revelation says that he's going to blow out their candlestick if they don't repent. And he'll stop dealing with a nation. And we can see that in our very culture. He'll give them over, allowing their conscience to get harder and harder. And as a result, they will become more and more wicked. Listen, that's the now. That's how God oftentimes judges people, by simply stop dealing with them. That's why, that's why we never stop praying for those that we love. No matter what they do, no matter where they are, we, we pray for them on our face. Because we don't want this to happen. This is the judgment of God in the now. There is a judgment of God in the not yet. And I want to put this in tension. Romans chapter 12 Romans chapter 12. Now keep in mind, this may sound like bad news to you. This this is bringing David to worship. Okay, so you don't understand it. It Might be we haven't suffered injustice very much. But if you have, this is good news. God judges people in the now. He also judges them later. Romans 12, 19 says, Beloved, never avenge yourself. But leave it to the wrath of God. 
For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil. How? With good. There is a tension, you see. God's justice comes in temporal ways now, but in fullness later. But now is the time we pray for God's mercy. We pray for God's mercy in the most wicked people in this town. 2 Peter 3.9, we love this passage, don't we? For the Lord is not slow to fulfill His promises, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any of you should perish, but all of you should come to repentance. But, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. That's suddenness. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth exposed and the works that are done will be exposed. We were once the wicked. Amen? We were once the wicked. And God was slow and patient toward us. He wasn't willing that we should perish, but that we come. That's the context of this verse. He was writing it to Christians. Sitting there going, why are you worried about why they're making fun of us when the Lord's going to return? If the God had returned 20 years ago, most of us would have been in hell. But instead, he was patient. God is just. He's also merciful. And we pray for both. That's part of the entrusting, you see. When we entrust God, we don't get to pick how he responds. He does. We entrust it to Him because God knows how to do this. And I really don't. I don't really do it well. The result of this, the result of not only Him entrusting, but the result of God's intervention into His life was ruin for the wicked, verse 8. They are brought to ruin with their own tongues. You see that that tongue coming back on them? Turned against them. All who see their heads will, will go, mm, that wag in your head. Mm. I love this lamentation, just a parallel of this passage. Listen to it. Lamentation 3 and verse 58 says this, You have taken up my cause, O Lord. You have redeemed my life. You have seen the wrong done to me, O Lord. Judge my cause. You have seen all their vengeance, all their plots against me. You have heard their taunts, O Lord, all their plots against me. The lips and the thoughts of my assailants are against me all the day long. Behold, they're sitting and they're rising. I am the object of their taunts. Verse 64. You will repay them, O Lord, according to the work of of their hands. You will give them, now listen, you will give them dullness of heart. And curse will be on them. And you will pursue them in anger and destroy them from under the heavens, O Lord. God may harden their hearts in this life. They will experience ruin in the next unless they repent. And so when we slide over, it is just not with a heart for vengeance that we slide people to God. It is a greater desire. I want you to see that today. The reason we must do this. And the first thing is, is that. 
we might fear and that all people might fear. The result of God's intervention in this world and in our life is so that the world might fear God. They might stand in awe. Verse 9, Then all mankind fear. They tell what God has brought about and ponder what God has done. Fear can bring calm. It's like having a bad employee at your business and then the, the, your employer, the manager, walks out and tells him to get his stuff in his toolbox or in his box and pack his stuff up and he walks him to the door and all of a sudden this guy who's been tearing up the whole plant, there's a calmness in the, in the round. Wow. Well, he meant business. That's what fear brings. To one person, it may bring trepidation, but to everybody else, it brings calmness. That's what's going to happen. It happens in part in this life. It'll happen in full in the next. He wants the fear to go away, not just the people. It is the dread that is, that is affecting his worship. God's people, when they cross the Red Sea, and all those dead Egyptians were floating on the water. The people of the surrounding communities feared the Lord. And all God's people feared the Lord. But there were different promises to both. Different promises to the Canaanites. They didn't have the promise of Israel. That fear of God, to having that promise to your people makes all the difference in the world of how we understand the fear of God and how it brings strength and comfort to God's people. We need to slow down in our study. We need to slow down in our life because both the present judgment and the promise of future judgment is meant, listen, it's meant to remove the fear of man and to restore the fear of God. That's its purpose because that is essential to bring us once again to the main point, which is that we might worship that this thing may be removed. Verse 10. Let the righteous one rejoice in the Lord and take refuge in Him. Let all the upright in heart exult. So David is saying, so do you see it? The point of learning how to do lament right is so that we may write down whatever we need to write down to entrust God to do what is right either by His justice or His mercy so that we can get back to the point of worship. That's the point. That's the point. It ain't vengeance. It's not to get your share in this life. It is that God deserves it. God demands it. And I don't want anything to get in the way of it. And if you don't have that desire in your very nature, you're lost no matter what, what you confess out loud. We desire to worship Him, and we desire nothing to get in its way. When somebody attacks us and it affects our worship, we must entrust them to God so nothing gets in the way of it. That's what David has done. The distraction has been removed. The distraction, listen, may not be that person. <laughs> you might be related to that person, you know? It's the fear that's been removed. Ultimately, God's responsible for that person. But the fear, God can take it out of us. Uh, Psalm 56, I don't think this is in your notes, verses 3 and 4, it says, When I am afraid, I put my trust in you, in God whose word I praise, 
In God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? Do you see it? You gotta have a, you don't have you have to have the fear of man removed in order to be able to worship God the way he deserves to be worshiped. Psalms 34, 3 says, Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Worship has been re- restored. But listen, here's something that I was thinking about this week. I, Notice the word in the Lord. Remember, that's rare in this book. In the Lord. That's that covenant keeping, covenant promising, unchanging, unstoppable, unquenchable God of his people. He's saying that worship. Look at the text. I'm not just making this up. Worship is not merely something that we offer. It is something that we enter. You see it? Worship is not merely something that we offer. It is a rest that we enter He is enough. He is enough for my present situation. He is enough for my future situation. He is enough. And I'm going to worship Him. It's David's theme. I'm waiting. But I'm worshiping. Nothing's going to get in the way of that. And if something gets in the way and I'm writing it down, I'm entrusting it to God because worship is what He deserves. And worship is what I'll do until I go into His presence to where whatever that is will be gone. Amen? That's what He's teaching us today. So what? What is interrupting your worship? What is interrupting your worship? What, what, do you need to, what do you need to write down this morning? What do you need to entrust? What do you need to say, I'm not carrying that anymore? Can't do anything about it anyway. I can't control people. I can't control certain things in my situation. I, I need to entrust these things. I need to write them down. And I need to slide them over. I remember last week we, we, we went to John 4. You don't have to go there. You remember the story of the woman at the well. Let's, let's attach a satisfied soul with a worshiping soul. A woman who, who had multiple husbands and was living in sin. Ultimately, here's what God knew. It's what Jesus knew. She had a worship problem. So sin is uncovered. Life is offered. Worship is restored. What he longed for her is what he longs for us. That nothing get in the way for us to worship in spirit and in truth. That's what he's calling us to do. That's why Jesus came. That's why he made a way for our sin to be dealt with, the sins of the past, the sins of the present, the sins of future, sins done to you, sins done by you. He made a way for all of it to be removed, that nothing get in the way of our worshiping our Lord and nothing getting in the way of our mission. Do you see life as a mission? Do you know what mission is? Do you know that you don't have to worry about praying for God's will for your life? Because God has already told you that He's given you a mission just like He's given me one. And we don't have different missions. Our mission is to make disciples. It is from week to week. From week to week. 
for the rest of my life and the rest of your life, I help one person or two people or having people in my life know how to follow Jesus better than they did the week before. It's not about counting heads. It's not about turning numbers into the association. It's about how are you making disciples and listen, your, your satisfaction in Christ and your worship of Christ is determining what your mission looks like. You remember, Jesus didn't send our salvation. He sent his son to accomplish our salvation. So that people who are satisfied in Christ will offer their worship. What is their worship? Romans 12 said, it's your life. It's your life. A life lived flowing down the stream of the great commandment to love God and love other people in order to get to the great commission to help other people follow Jesus. Lament brothers and sisters, is designed to help us deal with a real-life situation to restore the power of worship into our lives so that we can get back to peace and joy that he purchased for us and also the mission of God that he called us all to be a part of. Let's pray. So, God, we, we pray that your word has been a, a comfort and a challenge a challenging comfort that only your word can do. And so, Lord, we rest in your word, that your word is good, that it is enough. It is sufficient in our life for what I'm going through, what my brothers and sisters are going through. Your word is sufficient. Lord, sometimes just to give us the grace and the mercy to get through the day. But Lord, to be able to entrust you with our long-term future. That you've got it. That it is yours. And so Lord, let us get back to what you purchased for us through your Son. That our situation does not have to affect our joy. Has no right to affect our peace. Lord, we know this is a fight. But it is a fight that you fight with us. It is a fight that you, that you win for us. And it is something we must enter. And so, Lord, we desperately desire right now just not to sing with our mouths. But as we worship, as we prepare ourselves to come to the tables, we do so understanding that this worship is also something that we enter into, that we abide in, and that we long to abide in its fullness one day. And so, Lord, I pray that you would comfort your people. I pray that you would comfort those that are even watching online. That they, even where they sit, would say, what do I need to slide over to God to entrust to Him? And what do I need to enter into? Help your people to embrace this, to experience this with the power of your Holy Spirit. That they would experience the goodness of God in the land of the living. 
that you would fill them with your joy and your peace that transcends their situation so that they might enjoy you, so that they might worship you. For that is a great privilege. And our one main goal in life is that we would worship you now and forever. And so, Lord, be worshipped, be glorified, be enjoyed now in Jesus' name. Amen.